Hello, everybody. It's been several years now since that Sunday night when I got a call. It's a call from my dad, and I could tell at once something was terribly wrong. In just a few sentences, he told me that mom was in the hospital. She'd just been diagnosed with lung cancer, and she was still alive for the moment. Uh, I don't know exactly how my face looked uh, when I was getting this call, but I can only imagine. And while dad was still talking and I was trying to find out where she was and, and everything else, he just came up to me and said, what do you need? I said, I have to go to St. Louis. His only answer was, I'll get the car ready. When trouble comes, it is the most beautiful thing in the world to have a partner that you can rely on to take care of what you need and be your support, both physical and emotional. But that's not just a matter of luck. And it's not something that you just arrange once and then you're good forever. And that is what we're here to talk about today. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, the big show, the most important and critically game podcast that is recorded in our car. And that was a, that was a story. But it's a, one of those things that just, it is what it is. And I've got a story for you. I said I wasn't going to tell any scuba stories, so of course I must lie. <laughs> I was in Vortex, down in the actual cave part, down from the from the opening into the ground, in the rumble of the of the roaring underground river. That is an underground cave in Florida. Yes, it's a it's a it's a it's a cave. It's a spring, and when I say I, I mean we. I was down there. Uh, at about 105 to 110 foot depth down the tunnel a ways, and my regulator malfunction. What that means, that's the regulator is the thing on, that you put on your face that is what you breathe the air out of, okay? And so what I did was, I mean, it was just blowing. It just totally locked itself open. It was just blowing air out. It blew it out of my mouth. And it's filling the air around us with bubbles. So what did I do? I reached out. I grabbed my second radiator. radiator <laughs> regulator. regulator. I grabbed my second regulator. I put it in my mouth. And since we're in an overhead environment, we're driving, we're diving with no side mounts. So we have multiple tanks. And I put it in my mouth. And I reach over. And I calmly shut the air off in the malfunctioning tank. At the same time... I feel her hand on my calf, and I know that were I to look back or reach back, her spare regulator would appear in my hand. I stone cold know this because I have absolute trust in her ability to not only be where she's supposed to be, which is within reach if, if trouble happens, but that she's going to do it. And I didn't turn around. But how much you want to bet that regulator was right there, ready to hand? And it was. When you have a malfunction of your life support system and you're in an overhead environment, you have one good option, and that is to leave. So I, I didn't have to signal. I mean, you have a, a, an air malfunction in an overhead environment. You leave. You simply <laughs> go to the, um, go to the exit and then exit normally and. Um, there was no worry. We had the training. We had the equipment. My backup air supply was fine. I mean, I had all the air I needed to get out of the cave, and even then some, because this is... That's preparedness that's, when you're cave diving. That is prepping. 
that is just one of the reasons, you know, we're so fanatical on our diving prep is because we're pretty fanatical on all the rest of our preps too. But that's also knowing your partner. And that's also knowing that you could depend on your partner to not panic in a life-threatening situation. We get that that isn't everybody's partner. We get that not everybody is um, set up to be in a life-and-death situation deep in a cave filled with water. This is not for everybody. This is some hardcore stuff. We get that. And there's nothing wrong with somebody who's not uh, into that sort of thing. That what my point, though, is we know our limits. We know that we're going to be there for the other person. And this isn't an accident that we know that. And we know, to be fair, what we cannot count on the other person to do. Absolutely. For example, a couple of years ago, she hiked across the Grand Canyon. Here's what I could do for her. Here's what I almost every bit of this did for her with the one exception. And I probably would make that do something different now because you live and you learn. I helped her by getting a very, very comfortable bag. I helped her by getting outstanding footwear, although we did learn a lesson. Uh, And I helped her by having the right technical clothing. I helped her by giving, getting her, helping her get plenty of experience. I would have helped her if it had been uh, 2021 by making sure she had a satellite phone. I would have helped her uh, in any way that I could, but I couldn't make the hike. I couldn't do it. Following my, my, uh, when my ankle, ankle shattered, it's, my ankle is full of metal. It won't bend that way anymore. It I literally cannot walk down that kind of hill and there's no way I can, I could hike down. 5,000, 6,000 feet across 20, however many miles it was, and then back up the other side on a steep path. Can't do it. So we know what we can do. We know what we can't. I mean, just because I can't do everything doesn't mean I can't help. And you're going to have situations like this in your life where, you know, your spouse may not be able to do everything, but you can work on putting each other in, inform- in situations where you can be helpful in every situation, and so can they. And this isn't an accidental thing. This is something you have to work on and build. And you can have relations with the people around you so that you know that there is mutual trust as well as mutual support. That can be both physical and it can be emotional. And let's not underplay that because... What's the point of surviving if it just means drawing breath for another day? We're here to help you thrive, to live as well as you can, given life's slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. And a whole lot of living well is being as emotionally well and psychologically well as you can in trying situations. And supportive relationships with with people in your world are a big part of that. But they're not luck, and they don't just happen. They are things you work on. They're, and they're not static things. This is one thing I think a lot of people make a mistake. Uh, you're either getting better or you're getting worse. I heard that in an interview with a, with a guy who's a, a running back for a, a major college. And his coach in high school would always preach that to all of his players. You are either getting better or you are getting worse. And I think that's legit. I mean, when, you, when you're in a marriage, you're either growing closer or you're growing apart. And the question becomes... What can you do to make sure you're growing closer, you're going in the right direction? You know, how many times have you heard the divorce thing where people get divorced? It's, oh, we just grew apart. 
We grew apart. That wasn't luck. That was people living their lives and focused on themselves and what they were doing. And, and or not, the children, to be fair. Yeah. And or the children. Yeah. That's a lot of what they're doing in most of the cases. And they're not paying attention to what's going on with the relationship with the spouse. And if you don't put energy into keeping things organized, they will fall apart. That's a law of nature. I don't, not sure the law of entropy technically applies to emotional relationships, but practically it does. If you don't put energy into maintaining it, it tends to fall apart. I think a large part of the human experience is to learn from those around you, to learn from your ancestors, both right and wrong things. The right way to do it and the wrong way to do it are things that you can learn from the people around you and, and the people in your family and your forefathers, your grandfathers, you know, aunts and uncles. You can learn from all these people. And let me give you an example of how we, as a married couple, been married 30 some odd years, and no, I don't know exactly, and neither does she. We'd have to do the math. We'd have to do the math. I mean, because that's not something that is important to either one of us. It's, my answer would be, not long enough. There you go. And my answer would be something smart out of me. Oh, we've been married. Those were the eight best years of my life. And then we had 28. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. No, we actually have kind of a tale of two families. Okay. We have my family, where I come from, my father was... A brilliant man, but had a lot of flaws. My father was a very flawed person. Uh, And I know my sister does not like to hear me talk about him this way because, you know, it's her daddy. But my father was a very flawed person. My mother was a very flawed person. I mean, I loved my mother, but she was a very difficult woman to get along. She was extremely difficult. And that's just the way she was. Not for me, fortunately. Yeah, not for her. No, basically... If she took you under her as hers, you were good. But there were only a few people who <laughs> were good. Uh, she could be very difficult to get along with. And I'm selling her short. I know I'm selling her short. But she and my father, who was who ended up a hardcore alcoholic, okay, um, it just went bad in a really bad way between them. They let the booze come between them. They let everything come between them and they just neither would give neither would was willing to uh, take the steps necessary to make things work they just weren't willing to do it okay let's contrast that with her parents who were literally till death do us part they were truly in love from the minute they got well but from before they got married until the last one of them left the earth not friction-free by any means, oh, no. but always, oh, no. always a team. A, there was always... <laughs> and that whole thing where the kids try and pit the parents against each other? No. Good luck with that in my household. That was so not happening. That's one of the things that I think was so critically important with them is they made the conscious decision to always back the spouse, no matter what, in public, <laughs> in front of the kids. Now, I'm sure once that door closed, words were spoken. (laughs) I know they were. Neither one of them was a milksop. No. They were both very, very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Strong-willed. Confident. And unless you were, you know, unless it was something like driving directions, God help us all. (laughs) Don't, if you you ever knew these people, 
the number one thing, don't ever ask one of them how to go <laughs> anywhere. Even if it's the shed in the backyard. Within hearing of the other. Within hearing of the other. The don't contradict oh, your spouse thing. mean, you can't. <laughs> um, you, why are you sending them that way? It'll take an extra 32 seconds. And if you send them over on uh, Fabius Street, down to, down to wow, baby, you're going to hit four stop signs, honey. <laughs> Am I wrong? Pretty true. <laughs> but no, they, they decided early on that they were going to be the parents. And the kids were going to be the kids. And the spouse was each, you know, the husband, the wife was the most important relationship that either one of them had. And they did that very intentionally and on purpose. They knew full well that the best way to keep the rest of the family functioning well was to keep their relationship as a, you know, team bond healthy and well. And And so... The kids didn't win when it was between spouse and kid. And there were lots of opportunities. She's the youngest of nine here. Okay. So there were lots of opportunities. They didn't kill any of us, despite provocation. Yeah, one of them was. (laughs) (laughs) And they were actually on speaking terms with all of them, at least (laughs) in the end. (laughs) No, they loved their children. They did. But they were not their children's servants. They were their children's parents. Now, my mother, she, she was not my servant. (laughs) but that was kind of a different deal. So how do you get, well, actually getting this sort of relationship in the first place? Let's be honest, the hormones help a lot. Yes. The hormones and the common situations and the time and environments people are in when they're young, they all promote this kind of uh, pair bonding originally. So starting out with a good foundation like that is not really all that rare, it appears to me, when I look around the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm watching the nice view of waterfowl traveling overhead. North. The hard part, yeah, in January. Those are Vs. I know. It's Nope, they're circling. Okay. Yeah, they're not going far. They're not. All those right, aren't long circling. hauls. Say, that's, that was, because they're pretty high for just local. Sorry. We're waterfall the, watchers. Yeah, we're driving <laughs> down the road in, our, in, the, in the, the Chrysler uh, Heavy Studio. So you have to keep in mind that that we're going to see wildlife and stuff like that. Anyway, go right ahead. So starting out on a good foundation is not the hard part. It's maintaining that that is. And a lot of that, it's about continuing to pay attention to your partner and to exert yourself to make your partner happy. And if it feels unbalanced, since my mom has featured in this podcast a lot, let's bring her out one more time here. One of the few bits of concrete wisdom that she intentionally and repeatedly attempted to instill in me. Two things. One, you are not going to change at core who a person is. They might change temporarily for you, but you are not really going to change them. They're going to change them if they want to change, and you're not going to fix a person or make them like you want them to be. And relationships are not 50-50. They're 60-40 or 70-30. The only thing is, in a healthy relationship, it switches back and forth. Who's the 70 and who's the 30? It switches back and forth from time to time. But do not expect it to be 50 and 50 and fair because it's not going to be that way. And there are times when one person's needs outweigh the needs of the other. It's just part of life. And you have to be willing to give at that point in time. And, and on a lesser level, too. I mean, I'm a firm believer in giving. I'm really into the concept that you get coincidentally when you give intentionally. 
Does that make sense? When you intentionally give, you do something for somebody else just because it's the right thing to do, it's the nice thing to do, it's the thing that that they really would that will make them uh, their life a better life. It's something you can do for that is giving of yourself. That is unless the person is a selfish narcissist or a sociopath, then that will eventually ring true with them. And even if they are a selfish narcissist, there are those people out there. There are. You figure that out and uh, shift your giving to someone else, and you still end up the better for it. it it's not a zero-sum game where you give and then you've got less. Exactly. It's, and that is very much how it is or can be in relationships. When you give to them, you feel better, and they feel better, and everybody feels better, and it's better all around. So this is kind of a different take for a prepping podcast, to be sure. I've never heard stuff like this in other prepping sources, but it's real. And it's important in emergency situations even more than it's important day to day. Exactly, because you are going to be then what you are now, but just multiplied and expanded and, and you know, and also... There's one other aspect of this that I just have to bring up. Some people do not do well under stress. Some people are going to crack, and you know they're going to crack. This needs to be prepped for ahead of time. You need to find a way that they are not put in the situation where when they crack, it's going to cause a major disaster. And if you can, you do what you can to prep, especially to avoid particular people's soft spots. Everybody's got soft spots. Everybody has soft spots. If something is liable to make something somebody that you care about tip off the deep end more than anything else, see what you can do to reduce the risk of that thing or help them learn to deal with that thing. Exactly. Um, brittle steel can be reforged, and people's weaknesses can, if not be fixed, they can be... Um, Adapted to. Thank you. Uh, I was looking for the word there. I could, uh, for example... You have a person that, that just doesn't uh, have the ability to go on a big, long hike. Well, okay, how are you going to deal with that if it comes to a situation where you have to bug out? Do they have the ability to uh, ride a bicycle? What can they do? And I'm talking about a physical thing here. Um, you have a person who has uh, a mental issue. And I'm not talking about really seriously degrading mental issue, but something like, say, claustrophobia, Okay. So if you're planning to hide in a, in a small room in the basement and with a person who has claustrophobia, this is probably not going to be very successful. Uh, I know, for example, if your person has claustrophobia, um, I've had a lot of times so where I talk about scuba diving with people, and so I couldn't do that. I'm claustrophobic. And I'm just it just makes me stop and think, okay, the problem is... The person, they may not want to do to dive, which is fine. But a lot of these people say, I'd love to do that, but I'm claustrophobic. And a lot, and I just, just am baffled by, okay, well, what does claustrophobia have to do with scuba diving? Absolutely nothing. It's if it was reasonable, wide it open. Be a phobia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. The first time I jumped off of a, a dive boat and looked down, and it I could more see. agoraphobia than <laughs> I could see below me. Uh, 40, 50, 60, 70 feet. I could watch the reef fishes just playing and rolling around in the surge that far below because the water is crystal clear. It's just like looking at the air. 
There's nothing claustrophobic about it. But yet the person doesn't realize that because they haven't been shown. They haven't been exposed to it. Now, yes, diving in a cave, you don't do that if you're claustrophobic. Just okay? don't. In fact, probably just better lots not of, to. Lots full of stop. <laughs> it's probably not Plenty a good prepping. Places. You know, it's one of our prepping weaknesses as we do some stuff like that. But that's not something I would recommend for preppers. First of all, it's very expensive, difficult to do, training, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, something aside, if you're in the open ocean, the world opens up in front of you. There's nothing to be claustrophobic. But I don't know, probably 20 times I've heard people say, I'm claustrophobic and die. And well, what they mean is they're afraid to not have enough air. Which that's which a totally a separate different question. thing. Yeah. If one special aspect of this that is particularly relevant to preppers, and I've seen it come up in a lot of different discussions, if you think that personal safety is really important and think that includes... Uh, Firearms for protection. And frankly, we, we both do. have firearms yeah. for protection. We do. <laughs> and we both, you know, shoot paper targets yeah, with them. really do. Frequently, so, <laughs> you know. It's kind of fun. <laughs> However, if the people in your life are very much opposed to that, particularly if they are afraid of guns, it is doing nobody a service to force a weapon on somebody who is afraid of it and hates it and doesn't want it. That is not a form of personal protection. That is a worse disaster waiting to happen. There are other means of self-protection. They may not be, well, they aren't as good in some respects, but they have the advantage of your, when push comes to shove, the person you care about is going to be more willing to use them and is not going to be so terrified that they do stupid with them. And that is a huge deal. So either you find a nice, comfortable way to reduce their fears and get them more comfortable without stressing them the heck out, or you find a different approach because you really can't remake the other person in the image of what you want them to be. As an aside, if you are a guy and if the person who doesn't like or afraid is afraid of guns, you're a spouse or significant other, and you want, if I could just get her to... Uh, suit, I think she'd like it, or I could just get her so she wouldn't be afraid to take her to the rain and all that kind of stuff. I hear what you're saying, but don't you dare teach her how to shoot if she's afraid. You find a good female shooter, somebody you trust in the safe, or if you don't know anybody, trust anybody, you go to the range and you say, look, I need an instructor, but I need a female instructor because the last thing any woman who's afraid of guns wants to hear is mansplaining. Oh. Dude, I mean, you will. Game over. Game over. You'll lose it. You, you'll take an opportunity and turn it into a complete disaster. You know, there are many, I'm dodging some road debris here. Sorry about the rumble. There are many good women instructors. Uh, she's not an instructor, but she's a very proficient in firearms. She's had several friends who were really unsure about firearms that she's kind of taken under her wing, who have become you know, fans of them, simply yeah. because, you know, they associated guns, not with guns, but with overbearing maleness. And even if you say, well, she really doesn't know this stuff, so it's not mansplaining when I explain it to her. Yeah. Uh, too bad. It certainly feels like it. It feels like... <laughs> This is wrong. I shouldn't be here. I'm in the subordinate position. There's nothing about the situation that makes me comfortable. Just no. And 
it'll find other ways to express itself, like uh, the fear of the noise or the kick, if you want to call it that. Some of the firearms I shoot have almost none. The point is, it's never going to be an effective defense strategy for that person unless that person decides they're going to be willing to learn it and do it. And they're not just feeling forced into giving it a try because they've been badgered into it. It's, it's just not a good situation to put firearms in the hands of somebody who is afraid of them and hates them. I have a good friend. <clears throat> She's fairly physically uh, unable to, to do much because of a health condition. She's very, very, very anti-firearms. She just is. She's, she doesn't want anything to do with them. But she was concerned because she was in a neighborhood and there were several break-ins in her neighborhood. We were chatting about it over the internet. And I said, well, well, Shell, there's many things you can do that do not involve guns. Let's talk about a few of them. And I started going, okay, you can first of all get pepper spray. Get the really big pepper spray. Get bear spray, if you will. Um, you have, you always keep your automobile keys next to you so that if you hear a noise or something like that, you hit the panic key on your automobile and that thing's going to start, you know, they're going to, it's going to wake up the whole neighborhood. Uh, that will generally run people off. They don't like to see that. You have it so that you can flick on the lights with your voice command, flick on the outside lights with your voice command, put in motion sensitive light. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do in a normal situation, which is what she was talking about. And I just explained to her that all these different options and you don't have to have a firearm. Now, obviously I'm a big believer in firearms, beans, bullets, hello, <laughs> you know, and I have a lot of firearms and I have a lot of ammunition and I love to shoot. We Shooting is something I do for, for fun and for protection. But I realize not everybody does. And they still deserve uh, respect and protection. The opportunity to defend themselves, even if they don't want to use a gun to do it. And yeah, I can, I can see some of my audience cringing when I say this. As but long that's as, as long as they don't try to take my guns away from me. That's where, that's where I stop being so nice about it. But. That's working within the, the realities of the people you care about and associate with. By the way, we've been talking about family a lot. Uh, please understand, at least the way I look at this, even though I have a big family and I care a lot about my family, this does not have to be anything about blood relations. Oh, yeah, this may point. be the people you have chosen to associate with rather than people that you happen to share blood with. So, yeah, not everybody has good family situations, as I was blessed with. But there's a whole lot of people out there in the world, and there are people you can connect with if you are of a mind to and desire to. Oh, so, sweetie, don't be bald eagle eating roadkill, but he's pretty close to the road. Yeah, well, he'll figure it out. I hope to. I just don't want him from flying off into the traffic. That's dangerous. Why, why am I worried about that bald eagle? <laughs> <laughs> it will it will fly away or it will not. I mean, it's they are it. no longer endangered, at least not around here. They're not. My no. goodness. Okay. Anyway, so well, that's the basic deal. Relationships are important. Being trustworthy and being able to trust the people that you associate with are both really important. Recognizing each other's strengths and weaknesses is, and respecting each other's strengths and weaknesses. And realize that none of this is carved in stone. I'm a physiologist by trade. And if I've said it once, I've said it 300 times. We always remodel and we remodel in response to recent stresses. You lift weights, 
you get stronger and better able to lift weights. You show care and attention to your partner, you improve the strength of the partner bond. So where you are now is not where you're stuck if you don't like it. So it's something to think about and perhaps something to work on. Besides, makes life better in good times too. Let's be honest. That's right. Okay. I think that pretty much summed up what we're trying to say. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.